We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical, mental, suit, my physical as well as my mental suit, fitness. Coffee time. And yes, it is coffee time once again, and you are listening to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. This is Jason Floyd, and I'm joined in the studio today with a couple of guests who hopefully their mental capacities are a little bit bigger and and better than uh, some of the folks we've seen on national TV recently. Uh, Our uh, now infamous uh, president and his uh, blunders. Uh, cease to amaze. Uh, and now we've got uh, somebody in Pennsylvania, Mr. Fetterman. Um, I heard somebody refer to him as the cucumber. I'm not sure what that's about, but uh, have you heard Mr. Fetterman, David? I got, I, I got yeah. two Davids on the line, so, I mean, that's got to be confusing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so, you, you, you had me wondering there. I figured since David is right there with you, then you probably can't get So I'll, I'll let David hang. What, what do you think, David? Well, I... <laughs> this, is David, so, this is David Haig, by the way. <laughs> well, I'm so uh, kind of disenchanted with the whole thing that I try not to watch all that anymore, I hate to say. Well, it's you know, it's... um. It, it definitely is entertaining. I mean, if, if nothing else, I mean, darkly entertaining to see the state of affairs and where our society has, uh, has devolved to. And um, speaking of devolution, uh, you know, lots of ideas start out from great places, but uh, without proper care and maintenance, they fall apart. And uh, much like our bodies and our cars and our houses, uh, and that's no different uh, for our uh, system of governance here in the United States, um, or any system of governance for that matter. Uh, And part of our system of governance is the uh, judiciary branch. Uh, They make up a, a part of our three uh, branch system. We have the judiciary, the executive, and the legislative branches, of course, and everybody who uh, graduated from high school and took government, you know, uh, understands what what those bodies are supposed to do and how they're supposed to function and balance each other out. But in Alaska, there's been some uh, failure to maintain one of these branches. And as you know, uh, David Haig uh, has been with us on, I think, two podcasts now. Uh, talking about the state of the Alaska grand jury system and uh, how the grand jury was set up. And for a long, long, cold, dark period of time, David has been a voice crying in the wilderness. It's almost been biblical. Uh, uh, I haven't seen him in sackcloth yet, but I think that's next. Um, but uh, I hope not. <laughs> Over recent months, David uh, Haig has started to collect uh, a pretty awesome group of uh, contacts and supporters and friends and patriots, compatriots, I guess. And so uh, on the line with us, uh, calling from uh, the, the land of mystery. Isn't, is that what New Mexico's called, the land of mystery? You know, I've, I've heard it uh, called that before, I guess. Uh, there's there's actually, well, there's a connection. There's a place here called Chaco Canyon, um, which um, 
one of my really good Clinket uh, uh, friends from Juneau, Alaska, said a lot of their words in Southeast Alaska in their language, uh, he's traced back to Chaco Canyon. Wow. Um, so, you know, it, it just goes to tell you that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all related, um, you know, to some degree back, and we're all in this together. And uh, I, I just had a quick comment on, on your, your intro about uh, Biden and, and Fetterman. You know, there's a saying that all politics is local. And, you know, did, did a lot you say, of stuff, Did you say loco? <laughs> yeah, loco. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are, are uh, you know, that, that definition rings true as well. But, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, pretty much out of our control uh, nationwide and, and all around the world. But I, I think uh, local politics really rings true and where it all starts. And, and I, I'm saying this because I, I, I understand most of your listeners are on the Kenai Peninsula. And I have a deep admiration uh, for the people of, of the Kenai Peninsula. Uh, I've been trying, you know, uh, you know David Haig has had his uh, struggles. Uh, I've had my struggles. Um, I've been I've been trying to uh, shout out about truth and justice for four years now, and uh, it's through the people at Kenai um, that you know my my passion has finally found an outlet. And what I'm finding is that a lot of the people in Kenai. Uh, have a strong faith in God, and the two are closely related. Uh, people, there's a lot of people who support what I do in Juno, but they're not out, you know, raising picket signs and and you know spending four hours at the assembly meeting to to speak in support of justice. And you guys have taken this an extra mile, and you know when I'm, you know, I started reading. Uh, Genesis 1-1 about 11 months ago, and I worked my way up through Jeremiah, and I'm studying it. I'm just not reading it, but one of my favorite verses is Isaiah 127, and it says, Zion will be redeemed by justice. And this is how we're going to do it. I, I think I think we can start, you, you know, you've, you've all started something in, in uh, Kenai. Uh, I, I've jumped on your bandwagon here from Juneau. And now the message is, is being spread to all corners of the state. And I think it's eventually going to uh, spread to the nation. And, and I'll just say one last thing. A a lot of this is going to come through the grand jury. And so I will turn it back. I I will, I will let you guys say your next thing. Okay. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of uh, your schedule. Now you're down there for a very particular reason. I've heard what, what's, what's in New Mexico. (laughs) Uh, a former homecoming queen of Juno Douglas high school. Wow. Wow. Okay. So so you followed a homecoming queen to New Mexico. Yes, I did. She, she left Alaska right after high school. And, uh, 
there was a there was a guy in the band that was playing at the Baranoff Hotel in Juneau who uh, swept her off her feet, and she came down here, and she's lived here ever since. And uh, uh, we are going to be getting married um, on February 18th, and I'm going to be bringing back my bride to Juneau. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. So uh, can you tell us just real, real quickly, a, a little bit of your background? So what, I mean, you, you already alluded to, to fighting some of your own battles and um, Juno is a pretty uh, beautiful place, but uh, I, I refer to it oftentimes as the heart of darkness, and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the Alaska heart of darkness and um Oh, tell us a little bit about about Juno. What you do there? How you got involved? Um, what what motivated you to to look to to get involved with what the work that David's doing and, and so many others now that have joined his effort? You know, you 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 couldn't have uh, lobbed up a softball any better. Um, I uh, I used to brag to everybody. I, I was born and raised in Juno. Uh, my my parents. Uh, uh, came, they met in Bible school in Minneapolis uh, in 1950, got married, and uh, they came up to Juneau basically a couple months after they got married in 1951 to help establish a church in Juneau. My dad was a custom home builder, and uh, I was the youngest of their, of their children. Um, I was born, uh, you know, about a year after statehood. And... Um, I, uh, you know, I used to brag to everybody when I, you know, I, I left to go to law school uh, in my mid twenties. Uh, there's no law schools in Alaska, so I had to go out of state. I went down to San Diego, and I, I fell in love with the, uh, you know, as a 25 year old, uh, I fell in love with the sun and the beaches and and all that good stuff. And I ended up staying down there and and spent, you know, most of my career. Um, I, 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 you know, I. I Graduated from law school, passed the bar, and I practiced in state and federal courts for about 10 years, but I hated every minute of it. And I quit twice. The first time I quit was actually the one time in my life I was through the Kenai Peninsula. Uh, but that's a whole other story. But to, to get to your question, uh, I am ashamed uh, to say I'm from Alaska right now. Uh, I look at our judicial system. I look at what they did to this innocent guy from, from the village of Huna, which is about 50, 60 miles. It's a traditional Indian village uh, that was there before the white man came, about 50, 60 miles west of Juneau. I look at what they did to him, and I figured when I, you know, I, I had some experience working for something called the California Innocence Project, and we would only, um, you know, take on cases where uh, people were 100% innocent of any crimes charged. And, uh, you know, I would do case analysts for them. I would, I would look at the documents and then write up reports and recommendations. So when I first found out about this case, I figured, well, you know, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna investigate and I'm gonna write up the truth. And I did, I did a 60 page report and I, I sent it to the governor, the attorney general and the chief justice of the Supreme court, Joel, Joe Bolger at the time. And I figured, oh, you know, these guys are gonna, you know, they'll they'll uh, they'll they'll see the error of their ways, and you know, they'll make they'll they'll turn the wrong into a right. Well, I got nothing but stonewalled, and I started. I, I came to realize early on 
that it was politics that got Thomas Jack into jail and it would take politics to get him out. And I hate politics. I mean, believe me, I, I never wanted to touch politics with a 10 foot pole, but um, I have been drawn closer into the political re- arena now because it's the only way that, um, you know, that, that an innocent man, this, this guy was sentenced to 50 years for a crime that I believe was never committed. He's been in jail for 12 years. He's up in Goose Creek in Wasilla. He's been separated from his family. So if any of your listeners, uh, you know, feel compelled to, uh, I mean, this, this guy is a solid Christian man from a great family. Uh, just a, a wonderful person. He's, he's in his mid forties now. And I would urge any listeners, uh, to, to go visit. He hasn't had a visitor in three years. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, you, you are absolutely right. Juno is the heart of darkness. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of evil, uh, that is, um, that, that has taken hold of that town. And part of my mission is I, I can't turn my back on this. Uh, my, my parents and my oldest sister are buried in Evergreen, Evergreen Cemetery there in Juneau. Um, I, I, I went back to Juneau about a year and a half ago. Well, I, I've been in Alaska now for about 10 years. Uh, I reestablished residency about a year and a half ago for the sole purpose of restoring Alaska back to the place it was when I was a kid. That's a... Uh... That's a, a startling story, but unfortunately, as we know, it's not a unique story. We have, no. uh, we've, many of us have had the displeasure to have uh, contact with the Alaska courts, whether it's in an official capacity, uh, working uh, within the bureaucracy, or um, whether it's as a business person. Uh, having to deal with, uh, you know, um, uh, somebody who hasn't uh, followed up on their their agreed work or scope of work, whether it's uh, uh, as a, a plaintiff or a defendant. But one theme seems to be building with nearly everyone I talk to. It is this great displeasure with the shortcomings of the judicial system. Now, on the heels of that statement, I want to bring it back over to David Haig and get an update on his work and the, the group he's with. Um, uh, now, David is a victim of the system himself, and rather than just be bullied into silence for nearly 18 years or more now, he has been fighting a righteous fight to stand on the truth and, uh, you know, recently he, last couple of years, he, he said, it's not about me. We have to fix this system for everyone. So he took himself out of the center and uh, started looking more broadly. And what he found and discovered and, and heard from many other people with similar experiences was that, that the system indeed has been fatally Corrupted and without some life-giving uh, policy change and legal or statutory change, that uh, it's not likely we're going to see a restoration anytime soon. Uh, now, 
in a brief summary, you know, of the citizen's role in this governmental system. If you remember your civics lessons, you know, our country, our state are supposed to be uh, governed by the people, for the people, and all political power as the Alaska state constitution says is inherently in the people. And two of the biggest expressions of that concept are the, just the straight up uh, jury system. So if you ever got that card that called you to jury duty for a pettit jury, uh, jurors have the power, have a power that not even the president himself has when they go into that courtroom they can judge uh, a case based on the evidence presented um, and uh, make a determination not only on the merits of the case that's been presented to them by the prosecution and, and defense, but uh, on the merits of the law itself. And this concept of jury nullification um, is something that I've personally seen the court's well, I was dismissed from a jury when, when a, a judge asked me, uh, will you accept this court's interpretation uh, and uh, definition of what the law means? And I told her at the time, and this was in the Kenai court, no, Your Honor, I will not do that because I believe in jury nullification, the idea that we are here not only to judge the merits of the case itself, but the merit of the law as it has been applied in this individual instance. So that's a huge power that not even the president, the president can't nullify law. Although in recent years, we've seen the presidents do this through executive orders that have not received judicial or legislative pushback. But um, the other one is the grand jury. And the grand jury is a system where people can judge the, not only uh, the cases brought before them, but they can actually bring a case forward and request, at least under Alaska law, an investigation into allegations of wrongdoing, uh, chiefly by public officials. So with that little intro, David, tell us where we're at in your crusade to, and it should be all of our crusade, to restore our judicial system. Well, with... uh, You know, the last time I think I talked, we have been getting resolutions from the Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly, Homer City Council, City uh, Kenai City Council, whatnot, on the fact that uh, grand jury investigations into government corruption were being uh, stopped, uh, and and they were being stopped by government officials, uh, judges. Uh, one primary one was our uh, deputy. Deputy Attorney General. Um, Go ahead and give the name of that Deputy Attorney General. Uh, his name's John Skidmore. Okay, people need to not be anonymous okay. in this in this conversation. Okay. Well, there's some folks <laughs> when I'm on the air that they don't like that. So anyway, well, I'm glad that that's you... That's our power. Okay, so, so last time I think it was on, we were kind of on that. Uh, you know, we were that far down the process. Uh, we had gathered a bunch of folks to uh, wave signs and picket basically the Kenai courthouse, just basically saying, let the grand juries investigate. 
Uh, the key thing we keyed in on is Alaska's Constitution says, quote, the power of grand juries to investigate shall never be suspended. And that is exactly what was happening, is these uh, grand jurors, the, the primary evidence they wanted to investigate concerns a lady named Marla Greenstein. Uh, she's been Alaska's only judge investigator for 33 years, all eight thousand complaints against Alaska judges have been investigated by her um, and the evidence we wanted the grand jury to investigate and we had got to the grand juries was that she is falsifying official investigations to exonerate judges who were in fact guilty and letting them sit on the bench and so uh, I realized that all 8,000 that she investigated most likely aren't corrupt, but say if 10% are, say if there's only 800. How about, are, how about 1%? Yeah. How about 80? How about 80 corrupt yeah. judges? Does, does Alaska think that's acceptable? Um, I don't think so, and that's why people started picketing at the Kenai Courthouse. Uh, we did that for, I don't know, three months or so. Every Wednesday. Yep. Every, Every Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Which is when the grand jury meets at the Kenai Courthouse. Other areas of the state, they meet on different days, some on Wednesday, but some other times. But, uh, and one of the things, another thing that we were protesting is that to try to get evidence to the grand jury was being stopped by the courts the district attorneys, the governor, no one would give our information to the grand jury. It it took us getting on social media saying what's going on and grand jurors would reach out to us and we would get them the information. Yet, and every time we went into the court or to the district attorney, they refused to give the information to the grand jury when in fact, the current grand jury handbook says that if a citizen wants the grand jury to investigate the proper procedures, you give it to the district attorney he reviews it, kind of makes a little recommendation. But the last sentence in the grand jury handbook says, but it will be up to the grand jury to decide whether or not to investigate. And what we have been trying to get to the grand jury was evidence against the district attorney and judges. And so now we have judges, district attorneys going against the currently written grand jury handbook and not doing that. Uh, another thing that kind of cropped up was we... We found out that in different states, the grand jury handbooks would be rewritten through the years to hide what the grand jury rights were. So we, I got the bright idea of uh, trying to find the earliest written grand jury handbook in the state of Alaska. And two places in there, it specifically says that the public can approach, can, can ask the grand jury for permission to make a presentation to them to ask for an investigation doesn't say you go to the district attorney. doesn't say that you go to the clerk. It says you, you go to the grand jury and ask them for permission, for time to make a presentation. And so right there, we knew that, uh, A, the grand juries were being shut down from investigating government officials, and B, the government officials were keeping public requests for an investigation from the grand jury. And, and just to clarify what the people wrote Alaska's constitution meant when they wrote that, you know, that verbiage in that the power of grand juries to investigate shall never be suspended. The delegates specifically said that 
quote, the grand jury is preserved for all purposes, especially for investigation of public officials. And, and so right there we knew that uh, we were being unconstitutionally, illegally stonewalled from, A, getting information to the grand jury, B, grand jury being able to investigate. You know, as you're talking there, I... I had this picture in my mind emerge in, in, in uh, this, this analogy. You know, if we are supposed to be um, the great experiment, you know, this, this uh, can we have, can we have a, a Republican form of democracy and in that system replace what would have been uh, the role of a king with the rule of and by and for the people, then you would think that the people hold the power of the king, what would have traditionally been the power of the king. And, and you know, in when we look at monarchies and how monarchies have worked throughout the ages, if there was a problem with a minor lord or uh, a dispute between landowners or uh, a problem. I mean, we can look at uh, the Bible for King Solomon, you know, where, where we have two women and, and uh, they bring this child before him and, and he suggests cutting the baby in half, you know, and it reveals the heart of the mother and, and reveals the heart of the, the, the treacherous uh, woman who lost her, her baby. And, um, we look at that, and it's people seeking audience with the ruler. But now, so if we're to draw that analogy over to our Republican form of democracy and say that we're going to have the grand jury sit, which really, I mean, as we talked about the powers of the grand jury, the grand jury is basically a revolving king. Yep, it they, is. They, yep. they get to weigh in on the law itself. They get to weigh in on the public officials who are elected to be our leaders. And there is no one above the grand jury. No one. Not even the Supreme Court is above the grand jury. And so, so here, what I'm hearing from you is that, is that the, the court jester is denying you audience with the king when you're not allowed to go directly and have an audience with the grand jury and bring your concerns forward. And it's the jester who's controlling the system and not the king. Because the jester is an employee, right? And 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 I just like the picture of the uh, the DA and 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 the uh, AG in jester costumes because they are making a mockery of our system. They're turning it into a big, twisted, sick joke. Yeah. Well, and if you want to you know, follow that path further, you know, is you could say that the king in this instance is a kid who has yet to learn his true power, which would be the grand jury that has not been educated. And so the jester can tell the kid, oh, you don't have the power to investigate this. Right. We can order you to stop investigating the other jesters or me, the jester. And because, you know, the, the kid or grand jury is ignorant, they listen because the jester has been there forever and they don't, you know, they're off farming or, you know, they're only, fishing. they're only there once in yeah. a lifetime, maybe. Yeah. And for so a week. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's in essence where it's at. Um, 
I'd like to kind of, you know, I kind of, that was up to where I think I was on their last pod, podcast. There have been some huge, huge advances since then. And so I'll, I'll kind of go over some of them. And, you know, if I'm not doing a good job explaining, jump in. And even, you know, David Ignell, you, you jump in. But when I'm done with this, yeah. Before you, before you, before you go on, um, there, there's just a couple of comments I want to make to what you've been talking to. First of all, I've never, uh, Jason, I've never thought of it in the uh, court jester uh, context that you brought up. But you're 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 very uh, you're very intuitive. Um, that's a pretty good analogy. Um, the thing I want to speak to is is what you brought up about nullification. Uh, I haven't researched the issue when it comes to the petite jury nullification, uh, but I have uh, researched and my book talks about the power of the grand jury, which is what we're talking about, to disagree with the king, if you will. And that all comes from common law in England, where even in England, under a monarchy, the king was subject to to the will of the grand jury. In other words, um, like, like I write about this in, in my book, there was, this, uh, there was a guy who was charged with treason by the king uh, because he, uh, you know, he said some unbecoming things about the king. King car- tried to charge him with treason, and the grand jury refused to indict. In other words, they were above the king. And then that concept came over to the United States in a very meaningful way. And it had a lot to do with the fact that we're now an independent nation. Uh, during, you know, everyone's heard of the, the Boston Tea Party, but there were tea parties around the country. And I write about this in chapter two of my book where the, um, the grand juries would refuse to indict patriots who, you know, burned tea in the fields or threw tea overboard or did things to exercise their independence. And uh, there's a really cool story in my book about in Boston, where the, uh, the king tried to get rid of the grand jurors. And at that time, grand jurors were elected by town hall meetings. And the, the king's people came out and said, well, we're not going to do it this way anymore. We're going to have the king's sheriffs determine who the, uh, who the grand jurors are going to be. So the existing grand jurors, uh, right before this turnover occurred, one, two of them, I think one was Paul Revere and the other one was uh, the brother of John Hancock. They were in on that grand jury they refused to take their oath and then they all retired to a tavern and they decided to publish their reasons for why they refused to take the oath. So it is, it is locked in place in, in our, in, in the grand jury culture and one that's locked into our, into the Alaska constitution for grand jurors to refuse to indict if they disagree with the law or the, or the, or the charge. So if you haven't read the book, 
sounds like it's going to be a, a riveting read. Now, I've read, I don't know, a couple hundred pages, or a hundred pages, I think, is what, what David sent me. But um, I know some of the backstory of what's happened since the last podcast. So, David, go ahead and tell us tell us a little bit about uh, what the king has been doing with the uh, grand jury. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we were picketing, waving signs, whatever. And finally, after three months, we decided we would uh, push the issue a little more in that we would go into the courthouse, sit down on the carpet, and just tell the clerks or anybody who came by that we were not going to leave until we could present our evidence to the grand jury, just like the grand jury handbook said. And I published it on social media everywhere, Uh, I've got an email list of about a thousand people that want to follow what's going on. So I sent it out to all those. And lo and behold, I get a phone call. And I I think about that time is, you know, somewhere in there, I I threw my name in the hat for governor. um, And actually, my representative said that was a very smart thing because as soon as it showed up, I think he said at least the attorney general and I think the governor called him and asked why I was running or what was going on. And my representative said, uh, I think everybody pretty much knows why. Um, But anyway, there was those things, but I believe it was mostly our our, uh, promise that we were going to go into the courthouse, sit down, and then we would either, you know, we'd either have to be arrested or, or I don't know what would happen, but we had evidence that what we were doing was right. And so we get a call, uh, or I got an email saying that a, a grand jury was now formed that was going to, that invited me to come and uh, uh, make a presentation to them. And that was in, uh, I think, June or July of this year. Um, at the time I got it, I was in Bethel working, uh, paving Bethel's runway. Uh, anyway, um, I got out of Bethel as soon as I could to meet the request of the grand jury. Uh, it was in Kenai. I testified to them for four hours, the first go around. Um, I brought in two huge suitcases full of evidence documents proof backing up what I was saying. Um, about half of my presentation circled around Marla Greenstein, the judge investigator, um, affidavits from witnesses, every witness she claimed to contact in investigating judges, you know, a judge had wrote affidavits that she had never contacted them. And in fact, had in her report had falsified what their testimony would have been. And so that's the stuff I gave the grand jury. And, uh, I also gave the grand jury a list of witnesses. I suggested they con- you know, that they subpoena um, to get to the bottom of what was going on. Um, the last thing I told this grand jury during my invitation to testify was that because the Department of Law itself was implicated in covering up for Marla Greenstein, that the Department of Law attorneys advising the grand jury that were in the room when I was testifying and telling me, oh, this ain't legal evidence and grand jury disregard that. I'm like, they, the Department of Law is implicated, so you can't trust these Department of Law attorneys. You need to get independent counsel. And so that was my first four-hour go-around. 
And again, just so that everybody's clear, this was their preliminary investigation as to whether there's enough evidence that they should issue subpoenas and do a full-blown investigation. So anyway, I left, um, you know, didn't know who any of the grand jurors were, didn't recognize any of them, um, you know, had you know, no way to um, follow, you know, up, follow up on what was going on. And that was very spooky for me because you don't, you know, you don't have any way to really know what's going on. Anyway, fast forward three months, I'm now in Nome uh, after the big storm in Nome, and we were preparing, I don't know, 30-some miles of the road to uh, you know, some of the outer areas south of Nome, and I get a, uh, uh, a subpoena. Actually, I didn't actually get it. They were calling me to try to get it to me, and, and uh, they ended up emailing it to me. And during that time, the court clerk... Uh, said outright that the grand jury issued a bunch of subpoenas. So I was not the only one they subpoenaed. They issued a bunch of subpoenas. Um, where I want everyone to listen very closely right now to what I'm going to say is that this subpoena, and I can hand Jason a copy of it here, it was from the investigative grand jury, and it was from the contact person, the person who was getting this to me was independent prosecutor Clinton Campion. And so that led me to believe, and, and I now know that this is true, is that the grand jury dismissed the state attorneys and tried to get independent counsel because this Clinton Campion is from the private law firm of Cedar, Wedland, Evans, and Felipe LLC in Anchorage, Alaska. Now that hasn't always been the case correct what i want everyone to know is that in the huge stack of evidence i gave for the grand jury or, or the evidence against marla greenstein was i had filed a criminal complaint against marla greenstein back in 2012 mr campion is the one who personally he used to work for the department of law as their head of office of special prosecutions he personally exonerated Marla Greenstein from the same evidence that I'd given the grand jury. And remember when I, well, I don't know if I actually laid this out, but during my testimony to the grand jury, the first time is I said, I want you to investigate Marla Greenstein, but more importantly, if you find she's a bad apple, I want you to investigate all the state agencies and all the state people that I complained and gave the evidence of Marla Greenstein to and that exonerated her. And so now, now, somehow, some way, the same guy that exonerated Marla Greenstein and the grand jury would investigate at some point is now advising the grand jury uh, on their duties and the law. And... Uh, as soon as I got the subpoena, I called Clinton Campion and I said, how is it possible that you can be advising the grand jury during their investigation of Marla Greenstein when you've already exonerated her? And, he, and this is a quote from Clint Campion. I forgot that I'm the one that investigated her, so I've never told the grand jury. Inconceivable! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, So... <laughs> We're help us unpack so can, this. Help can, us unpack so can, this a little bit, David. 
Yeah, I can. I can. Uh, if, if David Haig is done, I can. I can uh, add to this a little bit. Yes, please. Okay, so I just didn't wake up one morning and decide to write a book. Uh, I decided after talking with David Haig uh, back in I think April it was that I would um, institute my own request for a grand jury investigation. Over the last three or four years, I've compiled evidence without subpoena power. Uh, I've compiled evidence of four cases, which are um, which need to be investigated. So I just started drafting up my own petition. And I found that uh, it was getting, uh, as, as I got into it, I was, I was anticipating, you know, this was a letter to the judge. Please uh, appoint a, a special grand jury with a special prosecutor to investigate. And as I was anticipating, uh, you know, roadblocks that would come up, I found that my petition was getting longer and longer and longer. And it got up to 30 or 40 pages, and I said, I, I've got to write a book. And so I, I put the petition, you know, I had maybe 20 pages of facts or something like that, but I, I put that to the side, and I started writing my book. And I finished the book in August and uh, put it on my website, and then a few days later, I sent my letter into the judge requesting, and that was, I sent the letter into the presiding judge. Uh, Amy Mead is her name. Uh, I sent my letter into her on September 2nd. And she finally got back to me about two weeks later. And she told me, Mr. Ignell, criminal rule 6.1 prevents me from personally reading your letter. Now, this is the rule that I talk about in, uh, you know, I think chapters 11 and 12 of my book. It's unconstitutional. It was passed after, uh, after the Sheffield investigation by a Juno grand jury in 1985. But I, I won't go get into that because it'll stray from the topic. So let me fast forward. So for the last two months, so my grand jury investigation started on Thursday. Um, I was early on, I was told by, and, and I've, I've exchanged at least seven or eight letters with Judge Mead over the last two months. She told me early on that I would not be allowed to come in to talk to the grand jury. Because you know, David, she, David, she believes in the law, right? Well, yeah, that's, that's her belief, <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is totally false. Right. Um, but you know, as David said in the grand, in the original grand jury handbook, that was in there that you could do that. And when you look at, when you look through the history of the grand jury, it's always been a forum where concerned citizens can approach the grand jury and ask them to, to investigate or look into something. So that was, you know, that was kind of the first thing. And there was also victims there was also victims of this judicial misconduct who wanted to come and testify and she barred them as well. So voices, she, she has refused voices to be heard. So what they told me was that, well, I could, I could, uh, I could give them a bunch of documents and, and the grand jury, you know, would look at the documents. 
So I, I, I said, what about who's going to advise them? You know, it can't be because my, my request and investigation not only goes into these four cases, but I asked the grand jury to investigate the Alaska Judicial Council. I want to know about the political motivations when they appoint judges. Um, my, my petition also asked that the Supreme Court be investigated. I want, I want the subpoenas to go back and find out why they passed this unconstitutional rule. I know that there's a paper trail back there. Uh, you know, there was two judges on the Supreme Court back in 1988 and 1990 who said what they were doing was unconstitutional. It was a three to two decision. So, you know, I, I asked for a special prosecutor and I'm kind of like David, but I said the, the special prosecutor needs to be from outside of Alaska. It can't be any attorney who's, who's beholden to the Alaska Bar Association. And so the judge finally got back to me and said that they were going to appoint an attorney from drum roll here. Anyone got a drum? Uh. Office of special. <laughs> Office of Special Prosecution. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Because OSP reports, uh, they're within the criminal division of the Department of Law, and they report to the two people who are central in my investigation, including John Skidmore, who's at the very top. So as of... So this, this issue was open, and I, and I got the attorney general involved, Craig Taylor. I started, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I spoke with Ben Carpenter, your representative up there, who I, I you know, I want to give a shout out to is that uh, you people in Kenai are, are lucky to have Ben. Uh, I believe he has stood up where many, you know, my, my, my elected representative in, in Juneau won't stand up. But Ben Carpenter give, give, did. Give that name. Who's your representative uh, in Juno? You know, I I um, I would just it, it's not relevant at this point. I, I will say she's from the Democrat side of the aisle. I have a lot of respect for her. Uh, she was a school teacher, but before she became a politician, she was a school teacher, and she was uh, influential in my oldest daughter's life. Um, but. You know, that's like you said, Juno corrupts, right? People go in there and, uh, and you know, it could be anywhere. It, you know, I, I'm not an advocate for moving the capital or anything, but, um, you know, people go in there and all these lobbyists come in and they're jets and, and uh, it's sickening what they do. But back to the story. So I started copying in Treg Taylor and he never responded. And I found out, so I, I got an email from the, from the court administrator, uh, I think it was Friday, uh, yesterday. She told me that the grand jury had convened on Thursday. They were still reviewing it, uh, and they were going to pick it up the week after Thanksgiving. I responded, I, you know, and she said that the, the attorney was from Office of Special Prosecutors. Uh, I sent her an email back going, what's the name? I want to know the name of the attorney for conflict of interest. Cause I've told both the judge and Treg Taylor that any attorney from OSP that steps into that grand jury has committed an ethical violation. 
That's what this is. When you have a conflict of interest, that's an ethical violation, and the judge is required to report that for disciplinary action. And they won't respond. So this is where, you know, I'm in the dark. Um, but I, I wanted to interject here because uh, what David is dealing with, and, and this is egregious, what he's talking about, that it's like, it's like you know, remember the investigation of Enron? All this wrongdoing they were doing. Well, what if what if the you know what if the grand jury looking into Enron was advised by an Enron attorney? You think they'd be directed to the truth? No, it's just as David Haig has been saying, they're going to steer them away from the truth. So ultimately, this comes down to two people: Treg Taylor and Governor Dunleavy. And it's like I wrote um, a bunch of people the other day: either Dunleavy is approving of this. Or Treg Taylor is not telling him what's going on, and this is egregious. Well, and let I mean, me we, let me interject here. You know, um, in in the show prep, uh, I was I was scouring the internet to try and see what news outlets have picked any of this story, your story, or or David Hegg's story, or the uh, things happening in the Kenai Court. Uh, who, how many news outlets have picked it up and at least republished? Because I, I know that both of you are publishing things. Um, and I got to page six, and I, I don't use I don't use uh, uh, Google. I use DuckDuckGo because I don't want the algorithms to you know filter out what I can see or not. And uh, the only news outlets covering any of this are not mainstream. They are the Alaska Watchmen and must read Alaska. And that's it. There's nothing. Silence, yeah, let me, let me, crickets. Let, let me speak to that a little bit if I could. Um, so I have, I have tried to get a lot of my work published by uh, mainstream media outlets. Uh, you know, I, I've been writing for three, three and a half years and, um, I have sent, you know, I have sent my work out to, uh, the Anchorage daily news, uh, the Juno empire, uh, on, on, you know, more than one occasion and, and some of the smaller, uh, local newspapers. Um, I want, you know, my first job was delivering papers for the Juno empire. Um, and they, you know, they didn't publish the first things that I wrote, but I, I want to give them credit. Um, I wrote a piece, I wrote an opinion piece, uh, supporting the, the constitutional convention vote ballot initiative. Number one, I wrote a piece that they published about a week and a half ago. So I want to give the, uh, the editor there a, a shout out for that. And I just, this morning I sent him another piece who has not published my work is the Anchorage Daily News. I have written two articles uh, critical of our judiciary that they refuse to publish. And I've had communications with their opinion editor and the, and the main editor. And uh, I have been stonewalled by the opinion editor. So, um, I want to, I want to give a shout out to uh, Suzanne Downey at must read Alaska. She was one of the people that you, um, that you mentioned, uh, Suzanne, uh, published my, my piece. She was the first one to publish my piece on the constitutional convention. 
And yesterday, she published uh, my second opinion article that I submitted to her, which is calling for a constitutional amendment. I would urge all of your, um, and this is a constitutional amendment to change the judiciary, and under, I think it's Article 14, or maybe it's Article, there, there, there's a, you'll, you'll see it in there. There's a way that the legislature can revise court rules by a two-thirds vote. So this Rule 6.1, which is suppressing grand jury reports, it not only it's unconstitutional, but the only way we can get rid of it is, is for the legislature by two-thirds vote to rewrite the court rules. And here's where a lot of good stuff can come in. We can force our, we can request our legislators and compel them to rewrite the criminal and the civil rules to bring back justice in Alaska. And so I, I urge everybody to, um, uh, Suzanne posted it yesterday afternoon, uh, to read that article and to comment. You know, the only people that I know of that weighed in on this grand jury situation, and you named one of them, was Ben Carpenter. Uh, Christopher Kirka, also uh, representative from Wasilla, did as, uh, during his uh, gubernatorial campaign. But it seems like the rest of the legislature is being very tight-lipped about this. And a lot of them have run on conservative platforms, constitutionalist platforms. At least that's what they speak from the podium. And it, it has really, for me caused a conflict in conscience. I have long been a proponent of working from the inside out of the party system to influence and, and uh, change the systems in the party to how candidates are selected, promoted, and um, presented to the public. I have never been one to believe that we should leave the party. And uh, many of you know that my, my government teacher uh, and friend, now friend, uh, Bob Bird, who is a radio personality in his own right here in the community and is a constitutionalist. He's also the uh, leader of the Alaska Independence Party. Um, he left the party after steering me towards the party <laughs> as a high school student. And, uh, you know... Um, he threw a challenge down to me. I, I accepted the challenge. He didn't steer me, but, um, but I, I always criticized Bob for leaving the party. And, and what I said at the time was he was relegating himself to illegitimacy or, or um, not illegitimacy, but more just um, obscurity. Because as you know, it's very hard to get elected in our system which is so dominantly controlled by the two parties. Uh, this week, in light of everything that I've seen, and in light of the uh, just the broken nature of the party system, I resigned my position as a precinct leader in the Republican Party as a demonstration of no confidence. And many of you will recall on the podcasts uh, last year, I was hypercritical of Senator Peter Michicki. And we put a lot of pressure on Peter, and he responded. First with threats and by sending people to warn me. Um, but I, 
I truly believe, and, and then we saw, just fast forward a little bit, we saw how Republican leaders responded to public pressure leading up to the Republican state convention, so much so that uh, at the convention, a number of elected representatives supported Representative Kevin McCabe's proposal that anybody associated with the Foundation for Applied Conservative Leadership, also known as FACL, that they would be barred from party endorsement, support, resources, funds, and that the established leadership there got fully behind them. And it begs the question whether or not, and I think at this point it's a rhetorical question, our leaders actually recognize who they answer to. And so uh, they responded very uh, aggressively when they were pressed by the grassroots. And I believe that new media such as this podcast and Suzanne Downing's work and, and Alaska Watchmen, they, they are part of the solution. And, and very much so the activist work that you and David Hager are doing, uh, David Ignell, are such critical pieces. And if we can continue to give you a platform to tell your story and to give updates, that we can create a groundswell of organic unrest in the status quo, people who are unhappy with the status quo, to where they will begin to exert ever-increasing amounts of pressure on folks like Mr. Dunleavy and Mr. Taylor, to the point where they have no choice but to respond. And initially, we must expect that their response is potentially going to be aggressive and negative towards us but that that can't last forever and that we have to stay the course. We have to stay altruistic in, in our endeavor and not let our ego or our own personal ambition or um, issues get in the way of the bigger picture. And that is the service to others, the service to our community and our society and to the goal of the preservation of a system that, when it was designed, I believe, had some divine inspiration behind it. And, you know, there, I've heard people say inflammatory things in the past, and I never support anything that suggests a solution outside of the civil processes available to us. Meaning, we're not going to resort to violence. We're not going to resort to uh, unethical behavior. We're not going to resort to smear campaigns, uh, libel or slander. Uh, we're going to stand on the truth. We're going to stand on the facts, and we're not going to back down. So I, applaud, I applaud both <laughs> of you gentlemen in uh, your work um, David Haig, uh, we are right at the 59-minute mark, and um, I'd like to kind of give you the floor again to talk a little bit about how people can connect with you, what the next step is, what's, uh, if there's anything we've missed uh, in kind of recapping where we are. Um, uh, he's handing me a piece of paper. 
So this is to well, the Kenai Investigators Grand Jury. Investigatory. Okay, there we go. In other words, the one that's investigating. And what we're trying to do is uh, if anyone is concerned that our current grand jury investigation has in fact been hijacked or, you know, or, or uh, given counsel that will lead them astray. If you're concerned about that, we're just asking that people sign this uh, document and we will, uh, I guess, maybe try to get it to the grand jury. And, and it, it just goes over that the public uh, is concerned that someone who has investigated our grand juror or, or our, uh, our judge investigator in the past is now advising them. And I'll, I'll tell you this, that every single person that I have uh, went to uniformly has said it's a conflict of interest and they have concerns about it. So this is a, this is a petition people can sign. Correct. Let, yep. me, let me go ahead and read that real quick. Okay. Okay, so it says, It has come to the attention of the following undersigns that an extremely serious ethics violation has been committed by independent prosecutor Clinton Campion during your investigation of systemic corruption within the Alaska judicial system. In 2012, when Mr. Campion worked for the Alaska Department of Law, he investigated and exonerated judge investigator Marla Greenstein. Ms. Greenstein is one of the primary people to be investigated for Alaska judicial system corruption. If you find Ms. Greenstein is a bad apple, Mr. Campion must be investigated. If Mr. Campion has not already recused himself from his position as your independent prosecutor, we ask that you remove him immediately and that you investigate how and by whom Mr. Campion came to be your quote-unquote independent legal counsel and prosecutor. We ask you to read the book, quote, The Alaska Grand Jury, its historical common law development, its power to investigate anything of public concern, and its suppression by Alaskan officials who fear its independence, end quote which you can find at poweredbyjustice.com. Especially pages 24, 28, 87, and 113 that highlight how corrupt government agencies and or officials will often try to ensure implicated or sympathetic attorneys are assigned as an investigatory grand jury's legal counsel, we recommend that you obtain Henry uh, Schulke, 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 yes. who investigated government corruption in Senator, Senator Ted Stevens' prosecution, as your legal counsel, or someone of similar independence and caliber. Further, to make sure nothing else is tainted and the Alaska public knows the truth, we ask that you conduct your investigation in public, as done by California investigatory grand juries, when the, quote, investigation affects the general public welfare, 
involving the alleged corruption, misfeasance or malfeasance in office, or dereliction of duty of public officials or employees or any person allege, allegedly acting in conjunction or conspiracy with officials or employees in such alleged acts, end quote. See California statute 939.1. And then there's a list for people to sign. Uh, David, can we keep one of these here at the shop for folks to sign? You can have a bunch of them. Okay, so we will have a bunch of these petitions here at the shop for folks to sign. Uh, we encourage you to stop in to Ammo Can Coffee. We're located in the Joanne Fabric Mall on the Kenai Spur Highway in Soldotna, just across the street from the Best Western Hotel. And uh, we are a private social club, but if you are not a member, uh, you can still sign one of these here. Uh, if you'd like to become a member, we'd love to tell you all about what it means to be a member of the social club. Membership is free, although we do appreciate your uh, financial contributions if you would like to become a paid member, and we handsomely reward you for that, uh, that investment in creating a place that creates community, especially a community concerned with conservative conservation, uh, conversation, and... Uh, the upholding of our patriotic values and uh, systems. Um, David Ignell, real quick, any any final words? Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, you know you you've identified my website. Um, go, I would go ahead I and would, give that um, to us again. Yeah, it's uh, poweredbyjustice.com. Uh, you go to the homepage and there, there's a few things on there. Um, but you'll find where you can download a, a free, uh, PDF of my book. Um, and then also on that front page is, um, uh, a, a short summary on the wrongful conviction of Thomas Jack. Uh, you know, his wrongful conviction is, is my motivation, uh, for, for doing what I'm doing, um, you know, as a volunteer. Um, I, I want to, uh, just briefly, I want to give out two shout-outs to other uh, public figures. Uh, the first one is Bob Bird, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, Bob was the first one to uh, give me some time on his show, uh, Talk of the Kenai. Uh, I think it was about three weeks ago. Uh, I was his guest for an hour and, uh, we have been in, in, uh, you know, we, we, we communicate now, uh, on a somewhat regular basis. And, uh, you know, I, what, 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 what you talked about separating from the party, uh, you know, I think it's something that needs to be done in, in the right, in, you know, it's a case by case basis. Uh, the other shout out I want to give is to Senator Mike Schauer, uh, from Wasilla. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike gave, uh, back in August, uh, there's a, there's a YouTube video floating around, of uh, Mike being interviewed by, um, I think the Alaska Alliance party. And he says it like it is. He, he starts out talking about the caucus, the binding caucus. And, you know, he talked about how, when he first became a Senator, they hauled him into a room of four people and said, you know, we'll give you all this stuff. If you, uh, if you sell your vote to us and he refused to do that. 
And as a result, my understanding is, is that in the, you know, so Mike was reelected uh, as a senator, but he's now going to be on the outside because he refuses to sell his vote. And this is one of the fundamental problems that you talked about earlier with, with, you know, partisan politics. And Mike and I believe two other people, Shelley Hughes and Rob Meyer, have refused to do that. So as a result, they are on the outs of the caucus. But if the people start supporting them, I see a, I see a path, I see an avenue here to get back control of our legislature. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a, a couple days ago, he sent me, there's a, there's a great video of a Texas representative by the name of Chip Roy uh, speaking before on the on the U.S. House of Representatives floor, and he talks about this. Uh, to get it, I think you need to Google something like you know, um, kick you in the rear or something like that. Let's use uh, he, let's use DuckDuckGo and not give Google any more data. Okay, <laughs> what, what, whatever. Yeah. But just just uh, Chip Roy gave this speech on the floor of the House about two years ago. And that's what he railed. He railed about this for 20, 30 minutes about the, the voice of the people being stifled by all these committees. Right. And the same thing is happening in Alaska. And I applaud Mike shower for saying, look, I represent the people and they want, they, they rely on me for my voice. And so, you know, Mike is a leader. You know, my understanding was, you know, I've heard that the F-22 is like the most incredible airplane in the world. And Mike was like a squad, the first squadron commander of that or something in, in Alaska. He's a leader. And he's the kind of leader that people can get behind. And so, you know, whether you're from Kenai or Fairbanks or Anchorage or Juneau or wherever, and the other thing I would add is, is going back to this, this grand jury fight, in addition to the petition, if all your listeners would start flooding the phone lines of Treg Taylor and Mike Dunleavy, politicians will react to volume. And you start turning up the volume on them, and it's going to work. It's going it, to, it's going to get us a lot further. So, I mean, David, what you're doing, but you're, you know, going out to, uh, you know, various city councils and assemblies is awesome. Getting these petitions signed is awesome. But urge people to start calling the governor's office and the attorney's general's office and say, we're not going to put up with this stuff. But that's I, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show, Jason. I, you know, what you're doing is, in, in my opinion, God's work. And, uh, you know, uh, justice, uh, you know, justice and fairness, uh, for all the people is, is that's how we're going to, you know, that's what we need in this state. Thank you very much. Thank you. And David, can you, uh, throw us, uh, uh, your website contact information real quick? Sure. The, the main thing for me to keep in contact with people, you well, I'll give you the website for, they can go there for information, but, Anyone who wants to follow this, I'd suggest that they text me at 907-398-6403. It's also my cell number. Um, 
and give me your email address. Um, the website where you can find a lot of this information, um, there's actually three of them. They're all hooked to the same website, but Alaska State of Corruption, uh, alaskagrandjuryrights.com, and then there's another one that I forget. But I think we, we actually also started a Facebook pay, page, uh, Alaska Grand Jurors Association. Um, in California, they did that, and this association uh, goes around to schools puts on presentations to the rights of grand jurors and stuff. And I think that that's important to uh, do. Um, and again, yes, uh, I actually believe that it wasn't, you know, I've been to, a lot of people went to the governor and attorney general, but it wasn't that that forced their hand. It was the folks that went over to the Kenai courthouse and were going to... Created the optics. Yes. Uh, yeah. Created a situation that there was no way around. Because if that group of people went in there, and so, and I, I'm not advocating that we do that, and we never did do that. We just said the Constitution says we have a right to do this. So, anyway, I appreciate everybody that uh, you know has been helping. And again, contact me, uh, and my email address if you want it to email me is Heg. My last name it's uh, phonetically it's Hotel Alpha Echo Gulf Heg H A E G at Alaska.net. Spoken like a pilot. Well, I happen to be a flight instructor. I just, hey, I just renewed like two days ago. So, well, so here's here's the deal, folks. Uh, I have been following the uh, unfolding drama with Representative uh, David Eastman, who is wrestling with the courts in his own right and uh, is dealing with another erosion of uh, the people's power. Uh, and uh, so we're hopeful to get him on the show here in the near future to continue this conversation about Alaska's courts, our system, and how we need to work together to correct the ship before it flips completely over. You have been listening to the conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. If there's something that you would like to discuss uh, on our show, please contact us. Reach out to us. I have an email address. It's Sarge, S-A-R-G-E, at ninja. So Sarge at ninja, And we'd, look, uh, we'd, we'd welcome uh, your input and love to uh, potentially have you on the air. So with that, I'll wish you gentlemen adieu and uh, come in, have a great cup of coffee. Uh, I guess David is now going to retire to the next meeting, which is the Liberty Action uh, Alaska group that meets here on Saturdays. And we encourage you to come and check that out as well. So have a great day, everybody, and we'll catch you on the flip side.